Today we're going to be thinking about the book of Ruth, and if you have been about church for a very long time, you probably know something about the story of Ruth. I do want, however, to read just a few passages to quicken our recollection of this marvelous book from the Old Testament. From the first chapter, when Naomi saw that she was determined, that being Ruth, she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full. But the Lord has brought me back empty. And then from the third chapter, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you. Now here is our kinsman Boaz, with whose young women you have been working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself. And put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And then from the fourth chapter, So eventually Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. In the Broadway play and the movie that appeared a good many years ago, a small red-haired girl named Annie sang a song, It's a Hard Knock Life for All of Us. And it certainly can be that, can't it? And especially when we have dealt with loss, the absence or disappearance of something or someone dear. It may be that the central tragedy of human life, as a matter of fact, is loss. That was true of Annie, who was bereft of her birth family. And it was true of the biblical Naomi, an 11th century widow of Bethlehem, who gave up first her country and then her husband, and then both of her sons. In each case, however, Annie's and Naomi's, things eventually came to a happy ending. It was, in fact, an amazing story of rags to riches for both of them. Naomi was received into the house of her new son-in-law, Boaz, a wealthy landowner and a farmer, while Annie came to occupy a place in the household of Oliver Warbucks, who was renowned as the world's richest man. Daddy Warbucks, as he was called, took his adopted daughter into his arms. He looked her in the eye, and he assured her, Never stop believing that you are special, he said. The women of Bethlehem placed Ruth and Boaz's baby, whose name was Obed, into Naomi's arms and said to her, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. This child shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. Now what is that 
personal dynamic that brings about such a dramatic improvement to a hard knock life. We might call it the will to hang on, or as we sometimes say, to hang in there. For Naomi, it was the willingness to cling to God, and most especially, the willingness to cling to the people of God. Early in the book of Ruth, Naomi came to doubt her God, and she came to doubt herself. She had lost everything in a desperate gamble to flee a drought-stricken land of Israel and to find refuge in neighboring Moab. Ten years after settling there and bereft of husband and sons and security, she forlornly backtracked to Bethlehem, only to be greeted with condescension by those who never left. Do not call me Naomi, she replied to them, for her name meant pleasant. Rather call me Mara, a word which meant bitter. The Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, but I have come back empty. Still, the very fact of her return showed that Naomi never stopped believing in the power of home, and she never stopped believing in the centrality of God's people. You know, home is no doubt one of life's most powerful draws. I remember long years ago boarding a chartered airplane returning from a meeting of our annual Baptist convention. Now, you have to know something about Baptists when hoteliers and restaurateurs would hear that the Baptist convention was coming to town, they would look at each other and sigh and say, here come the battling Baptists. <laughs> and that one had been a contentious meeting, as many of them were, and everyone on that plane was tired and dispirited. And there stood at the very front of the airplane a chatty, middle-aged, motherly flight attendant. She took the microphone and she cheerfully announced, I understand you folks are headed back home. You may be interested to know that home is one of our most popular destinations. And of course it is. Home was everyone's launch pad into this great adventure we call life. But home is also a place of enduring invitation to return, a place to rest, to recover, to heal, and to enjoy the feeling of security and the possibility of fresh beginnings. And to be sure, there's always a measure of apprehension about going back home. We think of the prodigal son and his uncertainty about whether his father would even let him return. If Naomi wondered what the women of Bethlehem would think when she trudged back after a ten-year absence, she didn't have to wait long. Can this be Naomi, they wondered? But observe, in coming back to Bethlehem, Naomi had returned not only to familiar folks back home, she had also returned to the people of God, to the storied, ancient people of God. Persons who truly know God sense that his people will always be there for them, and it will always be their intention to provide the support and sustenance that weary, wayworn souls require. You know, you have observed a common tragedy in our time. 
and it is that people who encounter hardship do not in general tend to cling to God's people. Some may withdraw from the church altogether. No doubt many fear Naomi's friend's reaction. Is this Naomi? Is this the person that we thought had it all together? Is this that person that we voted most likely to succeed? Yet withdrawal and avoidance demonstrate a loss of touch with the nature and character of the people of God. Now, you and I, as members of the church, are people, for sure. As such, we may be subject to unhealthy curiosity and thoughtless condescension from time to time. Still, we are, at the end of every day, you and I, a set-apart people. We serve, you and I, before the very throne of Jesus Christ. And so we invite everyone, every poor, wayfaring stranger, to draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive grace and mercy in every time of need. You say it in your program, your worship program, every Sunday. We welcome all who seek faith, hope, and love, and for whom Christ is the Lord of life. There are no strangers at Deep River Friends, just friends we haven't met yet. And Naomi accepted that implied invitation when a few people insensitively questioned what had happened to her, how in the world such a thing had come to pass. She did not respond in kind. Even if their words hurt, she doggedly determined that restoration of fellowship with God must always involve restoration of fellowship with his people. So she would do it. She would hang in there, both with God and with his people. But what could it mean to hang in there in bleak circumstances like hers? It has been noted that Naomi, very much like Job, was a great complainer against God. But at least her complaining revealed that she did recognize God and she knew that he must be near her. Amid every hardship of her life, he remained in the hearing of her voice. Perhaps she would never have been interviewed by a Norman Vincent Peale or a Robert Schuller of former days. In the presence of such possibility thinkers, it would have been too important to keep smiling, to live victoriously, to put on a happy face, and above all, to avoid any signs of weakness or any signs of distress. Naomi could never have persuaded anyone that life is either always trouble-free or about to be. But here is the contour of Naomi's faith as she returned home. She believed she could trust God and she believed she could trust his people enough to be honest about her life. Her extreme candor sounds like doubt, but really it isn't. Let's be truthful with one another. Life has its downers. Ours is a hard knock life, no doubt about it. Yet God is mysteriously a part of it all. That is the witness of his book. If he isn't responsible for unfortunate things that happen to us, at least he is there when they happen. Everything that happens in all of this world, in all of this life, happens on God's watch. Never forget that.
And when things happen, and even when we groan and complain, God is always there. He's always there to listen. He listened to Paul complain about the thorn in his flesh. He heard David sing psalms of imprecation and abandonment. Patiently, he listened to Elijah when the prophet lamented the very day that he had been born. He wiped tears from the face of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. He gave his ear to Jonah when he wished he might die. And he listened to Moses when he murmured about God's people murmuring. Piety may sometimes sound like a family feud, but a family that stays together and fusses stands a better chance of hanging in there than a family whose members walk apart and never communicate. Naomi's return to Bethlehem, despite her misgivings and regardless of what anybody thought or said, showed her determination to make the most of her life with God, even when life disappoints. In Moab, she had sought the best for both of her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. Now back in her ancestral land and in the company of Ruth, who would not let her return alone, she sought the best for her who was better than ten sons. By nature, Naomi has always followed paths of least resistance. She had given in to Ruth's insistent, entreat me not to leave thee. She had refused to argue with people who doubted her motives. She had worked to reestablish life as she had known it before and to assume, reassume time-honored customs. A great danger in any misfortune is always bitterness, and Naomi had called herself that, Mara, bitter. Still, she never stopped believing in her God. She never stopped believing in the possibility of blessing. Like little orphan Annie, she never stopped believing that something good could yet happen. And so it was that she became instrumental in the relationship that would develop between Ruth and their near kinsman Boaz. Naomi may not have been a classic positive thinker, but she was a possibility thinker. In fact, she might be called a holy schemer. She viewed the time-honored right of the poor, the privilege of gleaning grain behind the reapers in the fields as God's blessing, and she praised the wealthy unnamed landover, landowner who seemed to favor her daughter-in-law Ruth. Then hearing it was her very own cousin Boaz whose eye had fallen upon Ruth, she exulted, Blessed be he by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Even as she said this, the wheels of her holy imagination were turning. What could be better than Ruth's and Boaz's newfound attraction? Well, of course, it would be their coming together in marriage. The security that this, was a, this would afford both Ruth and her mother-in-law and the possibility of heirs for her dead husband and their dead sons. And so we see, as the book of Ruth nears its grand climax, that Naomi and her God are at the center of the action, orchestrating everything. Naomi was a holy schemer. She was a plotter for God's good purposes. 
In the final analysis, we see that God's reward comes to those who cling close to his people and who cooperate with his plan. You know, isn't the book of Ruth more about Naomi than Ruth? Likely it is. For she who had lost it all now sits in her new home, a beautiful daughter and wealthy son-in-law at her side, and in her arms there is a splendid baby boy, Obed, destined to be the grandfather of the great King David, destined to be in the line of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those women who previously questioned the circumstances of her return now say, Why, Naomi, you're the luckiest woman in the world. This little boy is really your son. He is your very own son. But no, it's not even about Naomi. Instead, it's about God and about what God can do with anybody who will accept him, who will join with his people, get involved in carrying out his purposes, all the while staying true to him through thick and thin. And really, at the end of the day, it's also about you and it's about me and about the unhappy things that we have experienced through the years of our lives. It's about what our God will do if we'll simply be willing to come alongside him, hang in there, hang with him in good times and in bad. Now and again, we all go far away from home. Every one of us. We all walk away from God. And it's under those circumstances that the inevitable hardships of life are going to hurt us most. Nevertheless, God is standing there. He's standing right in the center of the church of Jesus Christ, God always invites us back. And all the while he promises that someday, somehow, he'll show us again what it means to be truly blessed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.